behind you. Good morning. Isn't it great to just join our hearts together, our voices together, turn to the Lord, and just, we know that a spirit is with us, and in a special way when we gather together, I believe his spirit is with us, and we comfort each other, and he comforts us. Pretty good deal, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I want to thank you all for praying for me, as you've heard the news about my condition, um, you know, the Lord has taken care of us and still does, and I'm just totally confident in him. And I thank you for the comfort that comes from the congregation. And actually, I'm kind of pumped, you know. Uh, <laughs> after I wore off the uh, anesthesia after the biopsy, I felt energetic. <laughs> So I'm not feeling sick at all, but you can still feel sorry for me if you want to. <laughs> thank you for your prayers, though. Uh, well, let's go ahead and pray before we look into God's word. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit being here with us individually and as a group. Your spirit is here. And then, Lord, as we look into your word, your spirit brings that word to our hearts if we really desire it. And so, Lord, there's just such a, a blessing of following you, knowing you, having your spirit reside in us and with us. And there's nothing else like it. So, Lord, we ask that you open our eyes to the truths this morning that we're looking at and build our faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in these last few weeks, we've been looking into the spiritual gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit. And these are gifts um, from God given to his church to enable us or help us carry out our, our ministries that we do in the church. And they are enablements from God equipping his church to do the work that he has given us to do until he returns to accomplish the mission he has for the body of Christ as we wait for his return when he will come and he will judge the world and establish his eternal kingdom where we will rule with Christ forever and ever on the new earth. And so here we are. We're in that in-between period and Christ is giving us gifts. Uh, the book of Ephesians says... We read this a few weeks ago, that Christ conquered sin and death, and it said he rose to the highest heavens above all things, and it says he took captives and he gave out gifts to his people. And that imagery is of a conquering king or a conquering warrior, and he's elevated to you know high, high honor for having won the battle. And it says he takes captives and then he gives gifts, he gives the spoils to his people. And it's that imagery 
And Christ is giving us the gifts so that we can continue on in his name and then wait for him to come back and really squash the enemy and really give us the kingdom, the eternal kingdom. Now, the reason we're looking at this into this time is because we feel we need to do a little, maybe a little restructuring in our church so that we're able to use everyone's gifts to serve the Lord in the best way we can to get a little more organized in that sense. And then that will help us serve and care for one another and honor the Lord. So one of the places we've been looking at in the Bible to gain insight is Paul's first letter to the Corinthians because it talks a lot about the spiritual gifts there. But what I want to do is, first of all, show you in chapter 1, four verses that talk about the spiritual gifts, and it will kind of show us uh, a, something to get us started in here. The Apostle Paul says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. And when he talks about grace here, he is referring to the gifts. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. Those are the two of the gifts. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. God is proving our words true, that we told you, and you're, you're receiving it now because God is gifting you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed, waiting for him to return. So Paul seems to be saying that this church in Corinth has been fully equipped with spiritual gifts in order that they can carry out the mission for Christ that he has given them. So you might assume, as you read this, like if you haven't read the whole book of 1 Corinthians, if you read that beginning, you might assume that as you go on into the book, the letter, you would see all kinds of wonderful things happening in the church. All these gifts being used, they're fully equipped. People being helped. Great harmony achieved, love for God, gifts being used, people, you know, benefiting off of each other's gifts. But if you've read the letter, what do we actually find in this letter? Well, I'm just going to name a few things. We find ugly factions in the church. We find people kind of like dividing up into teams and going against one another. One group cutting down another group. People bragging that their church leader is better than these other people's church leader. Pitting church leaders against each other. Sounds almost childish, doesn't it? Some in the church were attacking the apostle Paul, criticizing him the one who brought them the message of salvation, freedom in Christ, and they're attacking him. Some were flaunting their sexual immorality. And Paul said, of such that they, the pagans don't even do that. Others were suing each other in court. They were attacking each other over the kind of foods that some thought they shouldn't eat and others thought they could. 
They were being selfish and disrespectful when they were celebrating the Lord's Supper. You know, a time of really concentrating on what the Lord has done. And some were even promoting the idea or teaching that really there is no resurrection from the dead. The very cornerstone of our faith. Nah, I don't believe it. But then you think, well, what about not lacking any spiritual gift? Well, you know what they did with their spiritual gifts? They didn't use them right. And they would clamor after the gifts that would bring them the most attention. Everyone wanted the gifts that put all their eyes upon them and, and elevated them as an individual. You see, God had given them gifts, but what they did was they fell back into their pettiness and their selfishness and turning to the ways of the world and the mindset of the world instead of what God was teaching them through his word and through Paul and through their leaders. That is why Paul tells them about the gifts of the Spirit. And when he does, and we saw it in the book of Ephesians, and I'm sure he gave this everywhere he went, he tells them that these gifts have to be carried out with gentleness, humility, patience, and bearing up with one another. And then he goes on to tell them that the greatest gifts in, in this book, the greatest gifts and the most important ones are faith, hope, and love. Not the ones that put you in front of people and, and get you praise. The spiritual gifts are great. You know, we're not saying that they're not good. They're, they're wonderful. But they have to be used with the right attitude. And if we use the gifts or anything, any talent that we have with selfish and childish worldly attitudes, that just really renders them ineffective. You know, the gifts can't really get through our selfishness if we haven't really grown in the Lord. So character matters. And the reason I mention that is because it makes Paul's words in chapter 12 more understandable. So I'd like you to look with me in chapter 12. And we're going to start with verses 12 through 14. And he's talking about the gifts that God has given them, you know, to, for this age, so that they can be ready for his coming, his return, and they can do the work of the church in this age. It says, just as a body, though one, the physical body, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ, his church, the body of Christ. For we were all baptized, that's when you're identified with Christ, by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So it's a, it's a faith of unity, of oneness. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So we're all together, but there are many parts. Many parts, one body, just like the human body. 
and every part has to work in concert with the other parts if we want the body of Christ to work effectively. Now, in the early church, they had people from opposite ends of some of the most divisive or structurally opposite societal uh, ends. Structures that really put everybody at opposite ends. You had Jews and Gentiles, he said. And just think about the difference between growing up a Jew and growing up a Gentile. You know, the Gentiles, they didn't follow any religion. They were pagan. Uh, they may worship a whole bunch of gods. You know, who knows? But they were very immoral. And the Jews, they were brought up under, you know, the Old Testament, the law of God. And so you put those two together. And how are they going to match? I mean, that's going to be hard right away. And they hated each other over the years. So now they've come to Christ, but they have such different backgrounds. Slave and free. Just think of the difference of growing up in a slave, being a slave or part of a slave family. And then the difference between that and being free. How are they going to get together? How are they going to understand each other? And you know, the natural tendency when you're so far apart from someone else is to look down on those who are different, who have a different background. That's just our human nature, isn't it? When we see somebody different, we just kind of criticize them, or we look down on them, or we think how much better we are. And that's what the, the Corinthians were falling into, things like that. <clears throat> you know, in chapter 11, Paul reprimands some of the wealthier Corinthian church members because those are the ones who would be, get to the Lord's Supper celebration early. They probably didn't have to work long hours. They probably owned businesses. They were the more wealthy ones. They get there early. If you read chapter 11, it says this. And they start eating when the ones who have to work all day long, they're not able to come yet. The wealthy ones are there. They start eating and they start drinking, and by the time the poorer ones come, the wealthy ones are drunk, and there's no food left over. And that's the celebration of the Lord's Supper. That's the time we're supposed to be one. So that's what was happening in the Corinthian church, where they were supposed to be honoring the selfless sacrifice of Christ on the cross yet they were being totally uncaring and disrespectful of their lower-class Christian brothers and sisters. But our faith in Christ is supposed to bring us all together on the same level at the foot of the cross because we're all sinners saved by grace, need of a Savior. So you can see that if we have the wrong attitude our spiritual gifts will be pretty much ineffective. So it really takes growth in Christ, <clears throat> really takes submission to God <clears throat> in order for us to be able to serve God in a good way. Many parts form one body. We work together for the sake of the body. And Paul addresses those who may feel inferior. That's that's. One problem you can run into, people who feel inferior to others because they come from a different background maybe or don't have as much money. 
So verses 15 through 20. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. He's just using plain logic here, isn't he? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? We need all the parts, don't we? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God is, is overseeing where the parts are. If they were all one part, where would the body be? It wouldn't even be a body, would it? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Now that talks about someone who feels as though they are not very important. And they look around and they see others doing so much more, or things that look so much more important. Or they see others being given much more important jobs or ministries. And they're thinking, how come they get to do that? Now, going back to what we were seeing in the Corinthian church, many in the church had very immature, worldly attitudes. Many were clamoring for the gifts that brought them attention. And Paul criticized them because they were going after the gifts that just put them in front of people and people could hear them, but they weren't the most important gifts. But they all wanted them because it brought them attention. And they wanted to be noticed and admired. And they would see others getting attention. And they would want that gift or that ministry. The foot wants to be a hand. The ear wants to be an eye. But Paul is saying that every gift and every part of the body is important. And the gift that he gives you, your gift is important. And when he gives you a gift, it doesn't mean that you just have one thing you can do and that's it. It means that that's the gifting God has given you and it will allow you to do different things. But he's working through you in the way he's built you or gifted you. And he places them in the body just as he decides how they should be. And you know, when we think of that, <clears throat> that God puts it just as he decides, that makes sense to us on an intellectual level, doesn't it? But even knowing that, we can still fall prey to want what someone else is receiving. You know, the praise, the attention. So you have this foot. <clears throat> it's stuffed in a shoe, and it's tied down tight so it can't escape the shoe. And no one can see it. And here's the hand. It's out here where everyone can see it. And it waves around, and it points, and it makes gestures. And it's out in front of everybody. Everybody's looking at it. And the foot is thinking, great. <laughs> Look at that hand. But, you know, the hand 
would not have been able to be there unless the foot took it there. The hand couldn't have got there by itself. So it took the foot to get it there. The hand needed the foot. So every part of the body of Christ is important and necessary. And if we have spiritual insight and understand what God is doing and understand who God is and what he does, and and the more we're into his word, the more we start gaining spiritual insight. And then if we commit ourselves to serve God according to his design, and you know, you may not know exactly what your gift is, but you just give things a try and you talk to other people. But we have to cast aside false pride, don't we? I always call pride false pride because there's nothing to be proud about, right? We have to cast aside false pride, worldly thinking, and jealousy. Then we will see that God's ways are far, far superior. I mean, God designed the whole system of the church, and he designed all of history, and we're heading toward the kingdom. And he took us through so much trouble all through the history of mankind, but yet we're we're moving towards the kingdom where we're going to live with him forever. See, everything works according to his ways. And so we, as children of God, we need to submit to his ways. You know, several years ago, and then even through the years, there have been these very famous TV preachers. Now, not all TV preachers are like this, but very famous, very wealthy TV preachers. And they were being exposed for different egregious acts of sin. I mean, horrible acts of sin. And they had tens of thousands of followers, at least, TV ministries. One by one, they crashed big time in front of the whole world. And you could look at them and and think that they're gifted. And they probably had human gifts of, you know, speaking to crowds and that sort of thing. And they did reach untold numbers of people. And they took in tons and tons of money. But because of their worldly mindsets and their desires to be admired and to achieve great wealth and fame, I was reading one such pastor, and he was driving past this house, and it was this mansion. And he told his wife, we're going to live there. And she goes, you're kidding me. And so he trusted in God. He kept working. He kept getting money. Now they live in a mansion. He said, that's the victory of God. It's not the victory of God, is it? If these pastors, preachers who fell, if they had taken the attitude of a true servant of God, like the apostle Paul did, and had been satisfied serving Christ where Christ had put them in the body, because he puts them where he wants them, instead of the ear demanding to be an eye or the foot demanding to be a hand. Now, Paul goes to the other side and talks 
of some looking down their nose at others who they see as lesser. Verses 21 through 26. This is coming from the other direction. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. You see how God works that out in the body? While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers without, or with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So just as we are not to be jealous of another person's gifts or placement in the body, Conversely, we are not to look down our noses at someone who may be holding what we think of as a lesser position or someone whom we think of as less gifted, who's not being noticed, maybe someone behind the scenes. And Paul says that God has a way to make everything come out equal, just as we read here. The unpresentable are treated with higher honor. Those who perhaps receive less attention or less recognition are often the ones who are more indispensable or necessary. You know, I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. But once in a while, as you know, as you probably know, the federal government is forced to officially shut down because they've run out of their money and then they have to wait till they can take a vote to say they go beyond what they're supposed to spend. And so they have to wait till that. And sometimes they shut down for some days. And when it happens, almost nobody knows about it. All these people leading our nation, they're shut down, and nobody even knows, unless you're just watching the news. But, one man pointed out, When the trash collectors go on strike, everyone knows about it. And that's really happened, in a big city especially. Trash collectors go on strike, everything piles up, and everybody's screaming, calling City Hall. Those are the more indispensable. So you think of the body of Christ and the local church, the different individuals with different roles, Some roles by their nature just get more attention, don't they? You know, I think of our music team up here. I mean, so much talent up here going across this stage. And you know, we got doctors, we have teachers, we have housewives, we have, you know, everything but professional musicians, except for Abby maybe, but we have loads of talent but how can we not notice them? I mean, they, they bring us such beautiful music. But then you have these guys running the sound system back there. 
And we never even see them, do we? But what would we do without them? I mean, those guys have really special skills, technical knowledge. And when something goes wrong, it gets fixed. But the only attention they get is when something goes wrong. And we all look back. <laughs> That's how it works together. God puts us in places according to his design. And then we go throughout the church. And even a church of our size has so many individuals doing so many different parts. And some doing a lot of different parts <laughs> for the body of Christ. But you know, here's how I see it work. It's God and us working together. I think that's the Christian life. God has the design. He has the pattern. He knows what's going to work. He gives us information. He encourages us with his spirit. He gives us the gifts, the talents, the abilities. We see how we might be involved. We look at the ministries available. We pray over the whole process continually because we're connecting with God on the whole matter. We talk to ministry leaders. We may ask them some questions. We find out what's going on behind the scenes there. We listen to wise counsel. Those who can give us you know, more information on what we might be interested in. And we try to see where we can help. And the more people we can get involved, and we have a lot of people involved, but the more a church can get so many people involved, it just livens up the church. And you've probably been in situations before where at first you had serious doubts, but as you jumped in, it turned out positive. And you know, we may have a gifting from God, any one of us, that we've never tapped into because we just didn't think we could do it. So, Pray about it. Talk to people. And you know, when I look at our music team, as, as I said, I just thank God. I don't know if you'd expect musicians that good here at a church our size. But you know, we also have doctors and housewives and teachers and math majors and soccer fans here. And they're using their gifts to, to serve the Lord. And we have life group leaders and youth workers and young mothers, workers in the, in the nursery. We have those who take care of the building and the, and the grounds. Sometimes I see people who don't have weekly ministries, but when something needs fixing, they come and fix it. And no one ever sees that person, except me. But that person keeps us going on. Lawnmower repairs, someone running to buy parts, someone making the phone calls. This is often the work of the feet stuffed inside a shoe, you know. Now, a bunch of years ago, a pastor of a church in California wrote a book that took off like a rocket ship. It was called The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren. And in it, this is just uh, something I'd like to end with. <clears throat> the 
idea behind this book was to give a practical way to serve God and make your life meaningful. The purpose-driven life. And on one page of this book, uh, Rick Warren talks about <clears throat> these different abilities that God has given people to be used for his glory. And so he lists these abilities that are mentioned in the Bible. It's not so much directed at just the local church. But he lists these abilities that God gives people throughout Scripture. And here it is. Artistic ability, architectural, administering, baking, boat making, candy making, debating, designing, embalming, embroidering. He said these are all, in the, he goes, these are just some of the things mentioned in the Bible. Skills. Engraving, farming, fishing, gardening, leading, managing, masonry, making music, making weapons, needlework, painting, planting, philosophizing, machinability, inventing, carpentry, sailing, selling, being a soldier, tailoring, teaching, teaching, writing literature and poetry. He said these are just a few. And he says, you are a bundle of incredible abilities, an amazing creation of God. Part of the church's responsibility is to identify and release your abilities for serving God. Every ability can be used for God's glory. Paul said, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The Bible is filled with examples of different abilities that God uses for his glory. Now, we may be shortchanging God by not realizing how we can how he can use our God-given gifts to serve him. And <clears throat> we, can, we see the spiritual gift list in the Bible, perhaps. But it may be that that spiritual gift or aptitude can be used in ways that we haven't really thought of. Sometimes we, we see a gift in the Bible, and we just think of one way and say, well, I can't do that. But sometimes one gift can go in, in different directions. Because everyone is important in the body of Christ. Everyone is a gift from God to the body of Christ. And as we give our hearts to him and think about how we can make this church full of life and service, we can see a richness and we can see people's lives being fulfilled because now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just the way that you have planned out our time on this earth through living through the church age. And we thank you for the help that you give us but Lord, we know that uh, we have to have good attitudes, unselfish attitudes in order to make it work. But we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you for each other who can encourage us, encourage each other through your word, your spirit, and through prayer. And may we, Lord, become joyfully active doing your work, talking to people, and being a, a, an attractive church to those who are looking to find you and to find meaning in life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.